Laura Claridge is the author of biographies of Tamara Delampica, Emily Post, and Norman Rockwell, a frequent contributor to the Wall Street Journal, Vogue, the Boston Globe, the Los Angeles Times, and other publications. She lives in the Hudson Valley, where we are today to talk about the lady with the Borzoi, Blanche Knopf, literary tastemaker extraordinaire. Welcome to The Bibliophile. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. This book is full of dirt and details. (laughs) This is true. I agree. That's why it was so much fun to write. How'd you get all the dirt? Well, you go to the um, museum archives in Austin, which are not necessarily that easy to maneuver through. The Harry uh, Ransom Center? Yes, right, right. Yeah. And um, they, the Knopfs, or at least Alfred, really uh, donated everything there to them. And it's a fascinating place because it's, you know, 16 files after 16 files about this person or that person because a lot of the uh, writers who wrote for, uh, were published by Knopf, ended up giving their files to the library under the Knopf's name so that it, it, it all came together. And it was very nice to research because if it was, why couldn't, if you love books, it has to be exciting, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you find the nice thing about doing biographies is you find the, that tiny detail. That, well, like the fact he was five foot ten and a half. Right, right. Yeah. That's exactly Love it. That. Who knows that? You know, yeah. who, who cares? Well, you do care because if you start imagining what the person was like. But the fact that there was, you know, quite a bit of information in the book about the various affairs that Blanche yeah. had, was that in there as well? Yes. Oddly enough, you piece it together. Um, you find in one file somebody saying to her, I hope everything's going well with your, they'll use a code word like, um, with your, the person of interest of late. Okay. And she'll write back and say, yes, um, we've actually been together in public quite a bit. And then you look at the time period and you realize, oh, and you know, it's like that, you put it together. But of course, it's a very um, low level sleuth dumb, I guess you could say, but I really loved that part of it, being a detective. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finding out things that others didn't know. and. So what was it that attracted you to Blanche in the first place? Um, when I first read that Thomas Mann, I think is the, the way I read it, Thomas Mann had said that it was really Blanche, not Alfred, who, who made that company. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's kind of a big statement because, you know, everybody knows Alfred Knopf. Right? Well, and everyone read that it's all about him. Yes. And it never occurred to me that he had a wife who not only was important, but had actually deserved most of the credit for founding that company. So that's what started it. And once I got those quotes, I thought, this woman has to be worth following, because why would these famous writers say something like this about her? Yeah. And then, of course, The Dirt came, which I loved. What what biographer doesn't love that? Mm -hmm. And so I found out about how she slept with everybody, and although she wanted a conventional marriage, it's just that Alfred apparently did not. 
Yeah, he was kind of asexual, or at least he was yeah. not sexual towards her. Right, right, exactly. And um, I don't know if if you remember, but there was a man who wrote a book some a couple of years ago, Scotty Bauer. He's in California, and he wrote a book about all the all the people he had slept with while he worked in Hollywood at a gas station outside of the the um, boundaries of the of Hollywood. He would tell them how to get in touch with so-and-so so they could get together, and it, it this really kind of wild and crazy thing. And he actually um, chauffeured the Knoffs. Sometimes they didn't even know the other one was in, in the state <laughs> to, to a hotel, the Beverly or whatever. And then somebody would come in and meet them, and then somebody else would come in and meet the other one. It was really kind of a, a funny situation, but he said, oh yes, Scotty Bauer said, oh yes, I remember very clearly that they had their own, you know, their own way of doing things, and I never said a word about the one having somebody else over, you know. So he was setting them up with sexual partners? Yeah, oh yeah, he did it with everyone, all the big, he he was proud of the big people, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, but I wish I could uh, remember the name of that book, I'll look it up right now, but... Sure. I think you you'd enjoyed it. It's somebody told me about it who's a big um, movie person. I just happened to be in touch with, and I said, "No, I'm sure you're wrong because they wouldn't do something like that," mm, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "No, I'm sure I'm right." And I said, "They would be the only people in that book, from what you've said, who would be in the literary world instead of the Hollywood world." Mm. And they said, "I don't really care," you know. That's they. they the man said, that's exactly what it was. And I was shocked too. So I looked it up and sure enough, that's what it said. So my husband and I flew out there and actually met with him in person okay. to kind of confirm this and see what his memories were. And he was he was 90, I wonder if he's still alive now, uh, 93 or 4. And he was still just as, um, I could see how people were attracted to him. He was very gallant and very sexual. and very, you know, so It was a kind of funny... I think we met in the Pacific Palisades, okay. something like that. Yeah, he's worth reading about. Apparently, Blanche got very attached to him, and every time she went out to Hollywood once a year, and she apparently made it a habit to have him drive her to the airport and back to sleep with her, and then she would give him a box full of books they had just published, she would bring them for him. Payment. <laughs> His memoir is called Full Service. That's it. And it's really worth reading about. <laughs> Aptly named. Yeah, really. So, uh, Knopf was established in 1915, and there was a verbal pact, apparently, according to your book. That's right. Uh, between Alfred and Blanche, that they would be equal partners. But what ended up happening is that she only, I guess, got 25%. Yeah. So there was a promise of parity, but it was a false promise. Totally. That's how you start the book off, so it's not too kind to Alfred. No, it's not, and deliberately so. There was nothing kind about the way he treated her. I mean, just wasn't there... It's not. I don't think he was deliberately cruel to her. I just think the kind of man he was. Which is what unfeeling. Yeah. Unfeeling, 
yes, cold, um, quite full of himself. Yeah. He, he used to, at dinner parties, I, and I just can't imagine this, but would serve the finest wines in his cellar to his favorite people. And the other people would get a lower class wine. Mm-hmm. Now, can you imagine giving a dinner party and and dividing the wines that way? Yeah, kind of rating or ranking people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about feeling. And I think that's how he was in life. You yeah, know, he ranked people. Yeah, he's a bit like his father too. He uh, he sort of worshipped his father, right? He did. He did, and I think that's you're absolutely right that that's part of it. That somehow the father was like that, so he became like that. Mm. Yeah, and in his mother, uh, the, the way you tell it, she committed suicide as a result of uh, Alfred's father Sam publicizing the fact that she was an adulteress. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, Sam was a horrible man in a way. Again, very much you're you're right to call to call out the similarity because it's not that you would meet him and sit here with him and think, ooh, you know, what a terrible man. But as you got to know him, you would see that he lacked a certain, um, a certain uh, compassion or awareness of what other people deserve or need to, to how they should be treated, and so and he especially treated Blanche very poorly, yeah. and she had to rail, you know, against his cruelty, and uh, Alfred never took her, took up her, her side. Right. Yeah, she always support, he always supported his dad. Yeah. Yeah, and he ran the company into the ground without anybody even realizing it. So when he died, Blanche looked at the records and thought, wow. This was Sam. Right. Yeah, so again, I guess what you're doing is trying to put the record straight on Alfred. Well, I guess inevitably I do that. You're right, but that certainly wasn't my intention. My intention was to bring bring to every everybody's uh, eye the greatness of Blanche Knopf. Okay. And in doing so, I ended up also taking some slaps at her husband mm. because that was almost necessary in order to show the imbalance. The imbalance was always assumed to be that, you know, Blanche was a minor figure. But it yeah, was just he, the opposite. Right, and he basically assigned her kind of a secondary role, at least publicly. Right. Right. And he writes her out of all sorts of anniversary brochures and things like that. Which is, I can't imagine that. Just because he wants to take all the credit, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which which is kind of astounding, isn't it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, if he loved her, he sure wouldn't want to do that. I think, yeah, I think that's way in the past. Any idea that he loved her was very quickly demolished. I don't think she started out the marriage intending to be sleeping with everybody she no. I think it was just a result of not being able to get her hus- husband interested in her yeah to get what she needed right the company starts off with a lot of russian writers in translation right. well that was financial <laughs> needs because uh they didn't have to pay the um you know the, the royalties then no. and so that was a great it was really smart to do it that mm-hmm. way to start mm-hmm. off with them and it not only gave them some clout in terms of they're serious, they're serious, yeah. Yeah. but it, it prevented the money becoming from becoming a problem right away. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that was really smart. You quote Alfred uh, uh, Harcourt saying that uh, all successful publishing firms need uh, a big bestseller in the first year. That's right. That was right. I forgot about that. And theirs was... Uh, 
the Green Mansion, was it? That was yes, one of I them? think I think that is what it was. I'm sorry that I can't. It doesn't come to mind immediately because I'm so busy on these other books. And it did very. It, although it had already been published, uh, they they re represented it to the right. American public. That's right. They were clever business people, both of them. Mm -hmm. So the house had both prestige and profit. Yes. Early on. Yes. You, we talked about the fact that Alfred didn't seem to have much interest in sex with her. Uh, so as a result, she slept with some of the most prominent conductors and musicians of the age, including Yasser Heifetz. Yeah. And then, in spite of the fact that most of these people were married... Why did she go after all these musicians? Yeah, I've wondered that myself. Uh, well, for one thing, he, Alfred... That's what his specialty was. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it certainly was a slap in his face. And if you really wanted to get somebody's attention, she could hope that that was going to do it. I don't think it ever mattered. And he knew that she was doing this. Didn't he? he had to. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, that she got a separate apartment. They, um, I'm sure she did. Mm. But um, but I don't I don't remember any conversations that I found where they had a discussion about open marriages, but there was a magazine interview that was held with her where she said right out, I don't think there's anything wrong with having open marriages unless there are children involved, which can make it difficult. She grew up with uh, an idea that, uh, that reading was primary, of primary interest. She also had a penchant for living alone and a love of dogs. And also, finally, the importance of self-presentation, clothes. She did. She. I can't imagine Blanche Knopf going out and looking uh, ragged ever. I think. <laughs> I think even the night she died, she looked good. You know, just somehow her self-presentation was very important. And, and so she shows respect to the people she meets with. I think that too. I feel that very strongly. So I've. I always like that to read about her. Um, I should tell you a funny story that's off to the side of the subject, but I had a meeting with one of the men that I was telling about doing the, the movie for my first biography, mm -hmm. and Tamara Delampica. And anyway, uh, I was going to just meet him, I think we're meeting at the Carlisle or something in, in uh, New York, and I was just going to go basically in my workout clothes because he had made it sound like it was just a... You know, we're just going to come by, swing by, and say, I thought, okay, fine, I'll just... And then at the very last minute, for some reason, I thought, well, it's at the Carlisle, it'd be nice to dress up, you know, so I put on my very special red jacket and, and black pants and uh, black skirt, and he came in, and they were all set up, they were recording the whole thing for some special they were doing, or doing, and I thought... I was going to be in my sweaty workout clothes. And, you know, so you, I guess it's always better to at least show some propriety, right? It's always better to be overdressed. Right, right. Yeah. In these instances, I think so. There's a lovely line you have here where you say, you say that, I'm not sure which one of them said it, but um, we decided we could get married and make books and publish them. Yeah. Uh, whereas, uh, whereas you know, most people want to make babies, right? So, but the books came first. Yes, absolutely, yeah. and that was always true. And Pat, their son, 
only child knew it too. That that must be difficult. That's right, of course. And uh, he had a difficult, uh, difficult time with with both his parents. Both of them. In fact, you suggest that uh, that Alfred hit him. Yeah, there were there were pretty firm. Uh, I found three or four references in the archives to um, somebody who knew them well, saying, "Yeah, he definitely uh, Alfred hit him." So, and then Pat himself said that. Yeah. So I guess he did, and Alfred was a very angry man. You know, he held it. He tried to hold it inside. You saw that mm. pipe and everything, but he was angry. I don't know. I guess if you have the father, he did Sam. That could make you angry from all the weirdness, just the weirdness. And, I mean, I know you you can't say this person led that person to commit suicide, but certainly Sam was in no way um, compassionate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I could see where all, all of the anger from Alf. And then, as I said, it's not that relevant to this book, but boy, his children, I guess I, his grandchildren, Pat, his only child, Pat's children were were the only people I've ever tried to interview uh, and been turned away. And I said to them, um, you know, all the other books I've, from Rockwell, everything, that people have opened their doors because they know that this is going to be my interpretation and you get to guide it, if, you know, yeah. so, so this yeah. is your chance to That's say right. it how you want it. Yeah. The story, tell the story how you want told and um, they were all three refused to talk. The one, um, the, the son named after um, Alfred himself, was a, a gay dancer. And um, he did, what's that wonderful dance you do in South America? Um, uh, Macarena or no? No, no, the tango. Yes, the tango. He yeah. was excellent. And so he and his lover uh, entered a contest, a very big contest and won first place. And, you know, so I tried on that side. I said, you know, I, this sounds so exciting to me if we could just talk a little. And so, you know, they just had been told not to it's say word. It's just mm-hmm. weird. Isn't yeah. it? It's kind of sad. I mean, a really sad thing. Mm-hmm. But what, what can you do? You can't rewrite somebody's life. <laughs> well, you can, but... Well, uh... I could. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting you make the point that Blanche loved uh, extravagant colors yes. and the extremes playing off one another. Yes. What exactly does that mean? Well, I just mean that I, th- I suspect most women in business, of whom there were a few anyway, uh, stuck to, were safer than that, wanted to you know, not create too, too many waves, not too much attention to themselves and she was just the opposite she is this in her attire or yes. is it in their book design or no everything? it's her attire okay. and um, she was willing for instance to give you an example of when she when she was not flamboyant and you might have and might have forgiven her for this I don't know but Langston Hughes wanted to publish a collection of poems that were really incendiary and she had been very close to him and published his works, but this was too much, and she absolutely refused, as did Carl van Vechten, who advised her. He said, no, don't do it. It's just it's not a good idea. So they were temporarily estranged, she and Langston, 
um, because she wasn't being, you know, wife uh, giving enough, and mm. and uh, she thought it was just too dangerous. What, what exactly was too? Was he being kind of aggressive against white yes. white people? Yeah. Yes. Okay. He said, you know, you're you. You hate us all and things like that, mm. which I under you know looking at it now we can understand why we would say it and how courageous it was. Mm. But at that point, it was incendiary. H. L. Mencken helped launch Knopf. Yeah, yeah, he was so encouraging and such a good man. In spite of his peccadilloes, I guess you could say. You know, people argue for or against uh, Mencken, so I never know myself. But I was actually the research assistant for Mencken biography, Carl, uh, Carl Bodie. So I was prejudiced on that side, pro, pro Mencken. Pro Mencken. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he comes all across uh, very well here. Right, right. And of course, some people claim that he was, um, because he was German, that he was too, too pro-German. Well, an anti-Semitic too, of Right, course. anti-Semitic. But the fact is, he was close to both the Knops who were Jewish. So. I, I don't think so it, how does that work? Yeah, it was an awareness of, you know, I don't like people who are Jewish, but it was just that he was quite comfortable making a negative remarks well, about everybody, yeah. really. I he, mean, you could be black. He was, he was straightforward and honest, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you know, most of us think you can be honest and straightforward without being mean. Mm, yeah. He was often mean. Yeah. You know, mm. he would say something like, um, well, if, if being Jewish means you have to think about money all the time, well, that's a stupid thing to say. Mm, yeah. And, and so is if he said, um, well, if being black means uh, you're colorblind. I mean, it's just... He, he, or lazy. He, right, right. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think, when, when people lambast Minken, that's the kind of thing they're looking at. And they're, I believe they're absolutely right. But I think it, in balance, if you look at it all and, what, and how he was trying to be... A, he was stabbing to get to get a feedback. Sure. And um, perhaps being intentionally uh, provocative. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I think that's really exactly what he was doing. And of course, he wrote the American language, which uh, Knopf published. Right. And uh, although it's a reference book, it did pretty well, right? It did pretty well. I don't even. I don't know if it's still in. Do you know if it's still in print? I don't know. But still, yeah, it yeah. sold a lot of copies a and lot of went copies. through quite a number of editions. Yeah, right? and for a reference book. Well, I suppose it gave Americans sort of pride in their own language. Right, that's a very good point. You know, it's funny thinking now, every time I hear about the Brexit thing and the England and all that going on, I always think, but England was one who had the, you know, the, all this power that we want to emulate that with, like, Mencken and show you that we have our own language that's just as good as yours, and now you look so down and you know, under. But, um, yeah. To summarize the, uh, sort of in an easy way, what, the, what Knopf was all about, they valued quality over quantity. They did, absolutely. I, don't, I can't think of any other publishing company that did that more. Um, Random House did not. I mean, FSG they, did. But. They eventually, you know, bonded, so, I sure. mean, so it doesn't matter. But, yeah, yeah. but at that time, nobody was um, as quality-driven as Knopf. They published about 100 books a year. Yes. The, the couple, Alfred and Blanche, tended to complement each other. Uh, she was a superb editor of fiction and poetry, and he loved sales, and he was a history buff and right. music. That's right. Yeah. 
So that must be, that would have been nice. Not only nice, but you would have thought that that would bring the two together in terms mm -hmm. of being partners in this publishing company. And isn't it great? We both compliment it, you know. Yeah. And that didn't, you know, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I really do think, and maybe it's, Maybe it's not this way at all, but I, I, I want to put it all on Alfred because even after meeting his his uh, grandchildren, you know, that came from his only son, Pat, uh, they just, something is off. You know, there was something lacking in terms of lovingness or whatever you can say. Mm -hmm. I guess lovingness is not a word, but um, kindness. I guess kindness. And um, they didn't have it. And so because... Isn't that a perfect um, match? If you have a publishing company that gets stronger and stronger and one of the partners is really good in this and the other partners... Will, I mean, that's mm. like, what else could you want? It's a lovely partnership. I mm. always sometimes feel that they made it work in spite of that fact. And, and then there was uh, Sam, Alfred's father, who interfered all the time, uh, right? Yes. And he wanted to get involved. And Yes. You're right to mention him. If he had not been part of it from the beginning, I suspect they would have done better. You know, because he, he caused a lot of problems and he he liked to present himself as so important. And, you know, the fact that his wife committed suicide. Could you tell me about Carl Van Vechten? Well, I wish I'd known him. Don't you, don't you wish you'd known him? He was quite, apparently uh, quite a guy. He would fit in between uh, Scotty Bauer and F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, he's that kind of guy right in the middle. He he's the kind of friend you'd want to have if you if he believed in you and he knew people, he would help. And that's how he acted with with Blanche. Yeah, he he saw. I guess he recommended different writers. Yes, and... helped her find them, and you know, yeah, definitely. You say that he had a strong instincts about others writing that would serve the Knops very well. Yes. I mean, he even is the one who said when Blanche was wondering about Langston Hughes, he said, of course, what are you saying? He's a great poet. So pushed her in the right direction. Right. I can't remember one time where he gave her bad advice. And the author, Willa Cather, was impressed by how Knopf supported its authors right. with well-designed and prominent ads. Well... As an author, you really do like that. You, you, you notice that. Yeah, you do. Well, you appreciate did. it. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Sure. And I guess she was she wasn't satisfied with her existing publisher, and so she came over. And in 1923, you write two of her books, uh, one of her own, and Youth and the Bright Medusa, generated royalties of nineteen thousand dollars. Right. In Which, 1923. I was trying to say, could you convert that yeah, on your own? It's a lot. Yeah, right. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. And and that, I do think you're right to point to that as, um, that was a major point in their uh, their business because she brought so much attention and so much fame. That, and I hate to say it, but you know, what's that horrible long poem, uh, The Prophet? Oh, yes. The little <laughs> Grand, yeah. That made them a lot of money. You write something interesting about that. It's, I think you say something like it made the people that read it seem like they were intelligent. There has to be some explanation for why it's so pop, hugely popular. Right. But that, I mean, that is it. It, 
it is pseudo-profound. Somebody was just talking to me the other day about oh, a difference of opinion and how important they found, um, who's the the one that all the... Ruby Cure? No, Holden Caulfield. Catcher in the Rye. Yes, exactly. And how many, many people have found that so important. And then somebody else said... And I, I didn't think it was a good book at Deep all. Nice. I didn't think so yeah, either. Yeah, right. So I, I, I suddenly started thinking, well, it must be that the younger, it's for a younger generation that it spoke to very clearly. Yeah, and they were at a time where they were easily influenced or something. Right. So I think it was the same with the prophet. But it's, it's generated huge dollars over the years and oh, it still does uh, i know that's what they, yeah, that may <laughs> still, still sustain though i don't know but yeah. uh, right. well I, I think you mentioned that it enabled uh, alfred to do a whole bunch of music books right yeah. he wanted in other words he wanted yes yeah. right exactly yeah. you have a picture in the book a photograph in the book of alfred working nude at his desk i thought that was in one sense the most humanizing moment of the whole of the story of alfred it must have been very hot, right? The heat and the, without air conditioning. And, and he, um, I guess he just gave way and said, why don't I just do it this way? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of liked that. Yeah, as I say, it I mean, it's kind of sexual. And yet yeah. you say he's not sexual. So it just um, doesn't, didn't really ring I don't think. I don't think it was, well... I, Maybe I, it wasn't anything sexual. Yeah, who was it that told me this? I think Scotty Bauer said that when he would go to the airport to get, pick up Alfred, that Alfred would often ask him to take him to see two women. At the same time? Yeah. yeah. He just wanted to look. Oh, watch them do Yeah, it. yeah, watch them, yeah. Hmm. And the, I mean, so I, you know, I don't understand enough about sexuality in terms of the ins and outs. Hmm. He, he wasn't, I don't think he was a particularly happy man in that way. So. No. But I love that picture because I thought it just looked like him relaxing finally and obviously doing it in front of his wife she must have taken the picture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i felt happy for them for a minute she attempted suicide at least yeah once yeah at least once i'm not sure how often and also i don't understand when people attempt suicide if if they actually want to kill themselves it seems like they always manage if they're serious, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my very uh, unprofessional opinion of it. I'm not a psychologist, but it's not that hard to kill yourself. I mean, really. Um, hmm. If you really, really want to. Yeah. You, that's one of the few things in life we can do, you know, yeah. if we, for sure. And so, um, so if somebody tries and doesn't succeed, I always think that's, like, that's the saddest because it means I really kind of want to. But not really. It feels so bad. I want to, but I also want attention. Right. I want someone to pay attention. Pay attention. Right. Right. Blanche felt thwarted by Alfred not wanting to pay higher advances. Yeah, I wonder what that's like. Thing is, too, with advances, sure, it costs money, but you know, typically, if the if it's just a question of taking a bit more risk. It's not that you lose that money, you get it back. Right, right. That's exactly right. That would be her attitude. But apparently his was just a very, I guess it was inherited from his father, but it was just black and white, you know, like, I don't want to spend this money on somebody, you know. So 
So they were at real odds on that, I agree. Yeah, it must have been very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, if you knew that you had a really good writer and that you wanted them there because they're so good and you wouldn't pay them. I don't remember what I said in the book about uh, Muriel Spark, but did did um, did he at first not want to pay her so much? I can't remember. I just know that the people at Knopf thought she was dreadful to work for. Right, right, well, that's true. <laughs> we talked about the fact that Alfred hit his son, Pat. There's some suggestion in the book that uh, he also hit Blanche. Yeah. How, yeah. how clear are you on that? Uh, you know, if I were told to put my hand to the fire and swear one way or the other, I, I wouldn't swear it, but... There were enough suggestions in the archives. Somebody would say, um, well, I think he hit her too. Or, or somebody else would say, uh, oh, her son, the son, Pat, said once, I know he hit my mom. So, you know, I don't know if you can say, okay, that's the proof, or if you just say, that's what he said, and that's all you can say. He certainly was rude and aggressive to her in public and in meetings. <laughs> oh, right. Can you imagine that, being treated rudely at your own... Especially seeing as you're running the show. Right. I would have hated that. Mm. And I, yeah, and that also shows what a... When, you know, I hate it when people say, oh, he's such a small man or such a small woman. But in a way, it is the smallness of being that mean to, to someone in front of others, you know. And I think sometimes that he, he Alfred... Was had a lack of awareness mm -hmm. of how he's coming off or how, no, how he's know. hurting other people. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Blanche had a talent for uh, for spotting talent before the public was ready for it, but also an ability to anticipate popular reading tastes. She she really did have that. Right. I mean, yeah. that was amazing, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. She was uh, with William Shire. She was really right there. And I think she real, really encouraged um, John, um, who wrote... Percy. Yeah. yeah, I think she really pushed him. Mm -hmm. So uh, who wouldn't love somebody like that behind you, right? Although she wasn't that nice a person either. That's what a lot of people I have know, said. I know. I, know. Uh, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of writers that, you know, she, she supported. Right. Uh, and cared for, right. I guess. Dashiell Hammett, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't think she's got that great a reputation out there either. No, I don't. I don't. I've rarely heard anyone speak of her as a. I wish Blanche Knopf could have been my editor, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So no, I agree with you. They set up a London office and it failed. Why is that? Fantastically, uh, I just don't think it was needed. Because they went over there frequently, right? right? It was yeah. kind of like. An, like one of those things you'd like to do but you shouldn't do. I think that's what it was. She didn't eat much. She did not eat much. She ate so little. She made a fetish of it almost. She would be at a dinner and ask for one shrimp. You know, one shrimp. But she'd have three drinks. Of course, somebody <laughs> reminded me that the uh, martinis in those days were so small compared to what our martinis are. Okay. <laughs> You mentioned uh, Dashiell Hammett. Blanche was really responsible for revitalizing their mystery fiction line with Hammett and uh, Kane and uh, Chandler. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
I mean, if you just had those alone, I, w- I would think that's enough to make a company, right? And she, she edited all the, uh, their early stuff, yes, right? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Now, wouldn't it be fun to sit around and have those three tell you what their impressions of her were, had been? <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Now, this is a quote from someone uh, who said, it might have been their butler, but I'm not sure. Blanche was irresistible to anyone she set her sights on. Yeah. She, she must have just been very good at um, flirting in a very knowledgeable way. She knew what would appeal to somebody, what, um, what this person would like or that person didn't like, and so forth. I would imagine that if she had been given a chance, she probably would have been a good actress. Right? She just has that kind of personality. That so, so yeah, when she seemed to, anybody that she was interested in, eventually, apparently, came to her. Now, their relationships didn't last long, so I don't know what that means, but it wasn't one of those things where there was a long relationship with, who was it, was it Vivian Lee and uh, what's his name? Who? Lawrence Olivier? Yes. Mm-hmm. Didn't they have a long relationship? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, e- even as you remind me of that, it makes me think, yeah, what does it mean when a woman just goes, hops from man to man? Well, she always had Alfred sort of in the background, I guess, even I though guess. she didn't like him. Yeah. But I think she might have loved him in a weird sort yeah, of way. Yeah, yeah, right. I think that's exactly it. I think maybe in some weird way she always hoped that someday they'd have a conventional marriage. Yeah, that he'd come around and right. they'd have yeah, just yeah. a normal sex right, life. Right, right. This definitely is the butler. He said, I admire her as I admire a tiger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. I mean, I mean, like again, she gets what she wants. Right, right. That must be a very. I would. Wouldn't you love to be able to talk to that butler? Say so. Can you describe some more? You know. But before I did the the biography, um, a couple of other people had tried. So that's where a lot of the papers came from. For instance, that quote. Somebody else had gotten that from, um, oh, who's that guy who wrote for Newsweek? Had started to do a biography of both of them, and then he died, so the papers were still there. I see. And so these papers are there, and I don't know, for instance, I would love to, well, he wouldn't be alive anymore anyway, but it would have been nice if I knew where all these came from. Mm, Yeah, and traced them down. Right, right. But I mean, I did a pretty good job of it because it, the main characters you could you could get and you could trace down. She had progressively worse eyesight. Yeah. Which I, is pretty well a kiss of death if you're an editor. Yeah. She would have people at lunchtime take, go with her and you'll hold her arms so she didn't get hit by a car. Mm. So yeah. And she was also had to use a, a big mag, a magnifying glass. Right, exactly. Did she work right up to the end? Yes. Within weeks, I should say, two weeks. You call uh, someone called Hubert Ho. Yeah. The love of her life. Yeah, the mystery man. Uh, and people apparently didn't, he wasn't no. that good looking or no. there wasn't anything no. terribly exceptional no. about him. Especially when you compare him to these fantastic conductors. And... To- totally. I, I don't know. He... Um... He was apparently a stockbroker, 
and um, but not that anybody's heard of him. That I, you know, that I looked up the records and nobody can find Trace. So who knows if the name's even authentic? But she certainly did have a very um, open affair with this man, and she was proud of it. So apparently, this was a man who at least acted as if he really wanted her, and maybe the others never. You know, she she would take somebody to go to bed with for a while, but he wasn't going to leave his wife. And I think she wanted somebody, and this man seemed to promise it. And um, then he, he left her, which he, must have been devastating. Well, he left her, and then you say he, he they had apartments next to each other, and he seemed to enjoy having loud sex with yeah. new partners yeah, yes. while she was there listening to it. Jeez, what kind of, what kind of uh, sadistic? So, so then that made me wonder, too, did that mean that that she had treated him in a bad way, you know. I mean, was he getting back at her? Uh, who knows? But um, that's the problem with biographies. If you're going to be honest, you know, and you you tell the best you can, but it would be awfully nice to just fill it in. Yeah. I think this is the way she felt. Nothing could be more gratifying than to uh, publish a book that changes the way we look at the world. Yes. Right. I, I think that's still true. I mean, and you mentioned uh, Hershey, uh, it was uh, Hiroshima, the book, or Hiroshima, right. Right. that they published, and they published The Second Sex. But, right, uh, right, right. I mean, isn't that amazing? I really mm -hmm. can't think of many publishing houses that had had that kind of track record yeah. at that time, you know? Yeah. I'm a big book collector. His name doesn't come up in the book, but uh, Dwiggins was an important uh, designer of their books. Oh, oh, and how do you spell that? D-W-I-G-G-I-N-S. His first name escapes me right now. Okay. But their books were, were uh, well beautiful, designed. Beautiful, beautiful, weren't they? Any, any that come, uh, come to mind that you were particularly uh, taken with? No, because I will say that... Um, I've never, unlike you and unlike some other people I know, uh, I was never, it sounded too luxurious to me to stop and pay any attention to that mm -hmm. because it took so darn much to write that I didn't actually, I, I was trying to think, would I care if I were having something published? Well, I certainly care how the cover looks, yeah. but under that, I don't care. Right. You know? Just as long as it's legibly. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, I certain, but there are people and who absolutely love the way that the, um, what do you call it, the, the, there's no cover on it, it's just what would Knopf would have done. It would have been a stuff all over like this, right? On the, on the cover itself. Right, right, mm -hmm. and like this, and here. And I have a few of those, but if you're a real book collector, you have a lot of them, right? And that must be, a, where do you put them? You have a big, big house? In storage. I used to have a big house. Then I got involved in this. Oh. Don't have a big house anymore. <laughs> no, see, that's the thing. It, nowadays, I mean, people lament when I say, oh, I can just, you know, get it on Kindle or whatever. Yeah. And they say, no, but that's half the beauty of it. And I say, but it's a different world. Where do you put them? Yeah. I mean, where do you put them? Well, yeah. you, you make, you make uh, space for them yeah. if you love them enough. Yeah, for sure. I guess I did. Right. And it's, I, there's nothing quite like being surrounded by bugs. Right. I, I, I agree with you. 
Any uh, parting remarks about Blanche that you'd like to... Uh, no, except the only thing you talking about her with me does remind me that I sure wish I had been able to know her. And I could have, I want to say set her straight, I could have said, Blanche, you know, you're, you've got so much going for you. You don't have to be so insecure. Everybody admires you. And she had said, you know, no, Alfred doesn't. Mm. I would have said something like, that's his problem, and it's sad, but but still, you know, <laughs> I would have tried to be a psychologist for her, mm. because it's, it makes me sad to this day that she wasn't appreciated. Well, thanks to your book, I think a lot more people will appreciate her. I hope so. And it was really fun to read, too. Oh, good. Oh, good. Thank and, you for saying that. And fun to talk to you, too. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. Thanks for coming down and everything. My pleasure. I've been speaking to Laura Claridge, who, what are you working on right now? Uh, two things. One, a novel about incest. Very good. It's called Loving Hard. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the other one, a book about uh, a dual biography about a, a, an African-American um, janitor and a very uh, well-known, prestigious white surgeon. This was in the 20s. The African-American uh, had wanted to go to medical school and lost all his money during the crash. And so he found, out a w he found a way to start working for the other man, the surgeon, at Vanderbilt, where they both were, although he was working as a, you know. And they got together, and this janitor did so much reading on his own and so forth that he became the right hand, right arm guy for the real, for the surgeon. He was very famous, and um, together they developed the cure for the blue baby heart, the heart thing that some babies were born with, they couldn't breathe, and, and they also developed uh, ways to transfuse blood, because it was right during the Depression. What's they, the name of the surgeon? Uh, the surgeon is Blaylock, in fact it's right, Alfred Blaylock. Okay, His paper's right another there. Alfred? Yeah, <laughs> that's bad, isn't it? No, but he was a good guy, so he was very good, and he got lots of praise and so forth. And this, the other one is gets gets a very long chapter in this book. A century of black surgeons. But he was still he never got a medical degree, so that's even that calling him that. You know, he he was a janitor, so I think it's a fascinating story. And um, the famous Blaylock said. At the very end of his life, he said something like, um, I should have sent him to medical school. And of course, he should have. He had enough money to do it. Yeah. And so, uh, but I've, I've actually talked with um, a couple of the, kid, the grandchildren and everything. It, it, I think it's going to be a really fun book. And, and the, one, the, the nephew of um, Vivian, Vivian Thomas is Coco. And he, Coco Thomas, what's his last name? But he is the team doctor and the Tampa Bay, what's it, what's that team? Tampa Football or? Tampa Bay, no, it's not football. Hockey? No. Raven, what is it? Well, anyway, a big, big Tampa Bay team. Shame on me because I'm from Clearwater, so I should certainly know. But, but uh, he, I've talked to him. And he's can kind of confirmed my impressions that this young surgeon who was a janitor uh, was a really brilliant man. And, and Blaylock recognized that. 
But how interesting in terms of civil rights that you know that that could go on. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the book I'm working on too. Well, good luck with that. Well, thank you. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much.